Mackerel Podcast number 241 for April 20th, 2011. Hi, welcome to another Mackerel Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. If you're a Mac user, there's every chance in the world that you have a copy of iTunes on your computer. And if you're any kind of iOS device owner, you certainly do. After all, it's the primary avenue for playing and syncing your Mac's media. In this edition of the Macworld Podcast, we turn to iTunes and one of its foremost experts, Kirk McElhern. In our interview, he discusses iTunes' strengths, weaknesses, hidden talents, suitability for classical music enthusiasts, and future. Let's get to that now. I'm joined by Macworld senior contributor and author of Take Control of iTunes 10, Kirk McElhern. Kirk's been covering iTunes and Apple's digital media efforts for ages, and I thought it was time that we brought him in to discuss the many things that is iTunes. Thanks for joining me, Kirk. Thanks for having me on, Chris. So let's start with what may sound like an easy question, but I'm not sure it actually is. What is iTunes? Oh, if you asked me this, let's say, what was it, 10 years ago, nine years ago, the first version of iTunes, it, I would have said, it's just a program to store your MP3 files. And as iteration has followed iteration, and we're up to version 10, it stores your MP3, AAC, WAV and A files, and Apple Lossless. It stores your videos, your TV shows, movies, music videos. It stores podcasts like this one, and you can subscribe to this podcast from the iTunes Store. It stores books, and these are audiobooks originally, and then ebooks were added when Apple came out with the iBooks app. It stores apps for your iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch. It can store PDF files. Um, it stores iTunes U content. It can display ping. It can give you recommendations. It can sell you things. It has a store. It has. It's a cornucopia. It's a digital media cornucopia now. Okay. Well, since you t- took the trouble to list all those things, has it gotten too big? That that's a question a lot of people ask, and and the, if you search for iTunes bloat. On Google, you'll get tons of hits. And I did this a while ago when I wrote an article about so-called iTunes bloat for tidbits. Um, on the one hand, some people may find that it's too big. But the way I always look at programs like this is if you don't need the features and you don't want to use them, why should it bother you that they're there? If you go into iTunes general preferences, you can uncheck the display of a whole bunch of the different elements that show up in the sidebar. And there's a dozen of them currently, movies, TV shows, podcasts, etc. If you don't use movies, if you don't have any books, you uncheck them, you won't see them. So it's not going to really bother you. Now, a lot of people will say, well, managing media is one thing, but syncing contact information, you know, bringing in stuff from third-party programs is getting a little bit confusing. And on the one hand, yes, it does a lot of stuff, but on the other hand, would it actually be better for anyone to have six different applications that you'd have to launch to sync different kinds of content? One for music, say another for videos, another for contacts, calendars, and, and notes, and things like that. So in a way, it's the lesser of two evils. Um, 
the only time that performance is an issue is if you have a lot of content, if you have a big library. But that's not a question of the program doing too much. Right. Yeah, because I do think that people look at this. Um, and I think I, I think Apple's also helped us out a little bit, uh, as you say, that now we can turn off options. I think in the past it was difficult to find out how to turn those things off or hide them. So you had to show Genius or you had to show Ping. Um, and I think Apple's gotten the message because the alternative is so unpleasant, as you say, where do you split it? Do you decide, okay, well, all the PIM stuff goes into a separate app and we'll keep all the media here, but then there's all the syncing stuff and shouldn't that go somewhere else? Well, it was like that for a while back in the day with iSync before the iPhone came out. Right. Uh, I, iSync could sync to certain types of devices. I don't remember, remember which ones. If you had a Palm, you had to use the Palm program to do it. Um, so... It just it just sort of makes more sense to have the one screen for your iPhone, your iPod, your iPad, even though that screen has eight or ten tabs or whatever, which can be a bit daunting. But most people, you know, most people will set up their device once and they won't do anything to it afterwards. If they buy new apps, they get synced automatically. If they buy new music, it gets synced automatically. Most people never change these settings after the first time. Yeah. So in your experience, is there an iTunes feature that routinely confounds users? You know, I, I wrote about, um, there is, it's not a feature, it's actually a tag that confuses people to no end. Um, it's the compilation tag. Mm-hmm. And I wrote an article about this, I think it was last year on Macworld, and to explain the compilation tag. And when this tag is checked, and, and sometimes, if you still rip CDs, I'm one of the people who does, um, you'll get, iTunes gets the information from the GraceNote uh, database. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this database will have the compilation tag checked. It's a simple yes, no tag. And you won't find your music. It won't be listed under artists because a compilation is, is listed in a special way. Um, I always check when I rip a CD to make sure this tag is not checked unless, of course, it should be. A real compilation is a collection of songs by a number of artists. So it, it could be a soundtrack album where you've got songs by a bunch of different people. It could be top hits of the 1980s, you know, where you've got 15 different artists. And the compilation tag tells iTunes and your iPod, by extension, to treat this differently, that the artists aren't listed as, say, various artists. But they're listed individually for each song. However, the album is listed under its own name. Mm -hmm. So it can be confusing, but once people figure it out, I think they understand what the concept is. Right. So what about features that most people don't know exist that are worth pointing out? You know, one of the first things that a lot of people, I I don't know whether they don't know it exists, but a lot of people don't really take advantage of it, is simply tagging their music correctly. Mm -hmm. That when they buy music or rip a CD or download music from, from wherever, to make sure that the genre is the one that they want, the artist is the one they want, the album name is correct, the compilation tag is set or not, um, if it's classical music, to make sure that the composer's listed. And when they do that, to make sure that they don't have the same composer listed six different ways. So Bach, comma, Johann Sebastian, J.S. Bach, Johann S. Bach, these all show up differently. Mm-hmm. So if you want your music organized, if you want to be able to find the music both in iTunes or, or on your device, then the consistency of tagging is very important. Right. I, I think another thing that people could probably do with discovering is smart playlists, which it's basically a way of setting a number of conditions and the playlists are populated, 
you choose some artists or genres or length or songs you haven't listened to recently, and you can make a playlist that may surprise you and come up with some music that you weren't expecting to hear. Now, again, you know, people can just go to the macworld.com website and do searches on things like compilation tag and smart playlist. These are things that I've written about several times. Right. So speaking of classical music, I know you're a classical music enthusiast, and although iTunes isn't picky about the kind of music it handles, it seems to be built with popular music in mind. So as someone with a large classical music library, what do you wish iTunes did that it doesn't do now to help you manage your music? Oh, there are so many things. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I, I current, I'm looking at my iTunes library. I have just under 69,000 tracks. I'd say more than half of that is classical, mm-hmm. um, probably close to two-thirds. And over the years, I've developed a number of techniques to sort of compensate for what iTunes doesn't do. Yeah. Um, one thing that the iTunes store does that the iTunes program doesn't manage correctly is it uses a tag that's called the grouping tag. Now, you can see this. If you select any songs, let's say you select uh, all the tracks on an album, and you press Command-I, and you click on the Info tab if it's not displaying. Um, Under the Album tag, you see a grouping tag. Now, in the iTunes store, the grouping tag is the name of a work, say, Beethoven's First Symphony. And all of the movements of this work will have the same grouping tag, which will keep it together. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the iTunes program doesn't use this tag in any way. You can fill it in, you can display it, but what it should be doing is allowing you, for instance, I'd want to make a smart playlist of string quartets, Mm -hmm. but since each string quartet is several movements, the smart playlist is going to have the tracks all mixed up. If it could look at the grouping tag and keep them together, so every Haydn quartet that's four movements goes in the order, one, two, three, four, and then comes a Beethoven quartet that's maybe five movements in order, and then a Schubert quartet. This would be wonderful. It would it would allow people to basically shuffle classical works instead of classical tracks. Right, right. One other thing, that, and, and I wrote about this on my, my blog recently, um, I would really like to see iTunes have a label tag. Mm-hmm. Now, classical music fans would like this, but I think a lot of jazz fans and you know, people interested in other, say, non-pop genres would be interested too, to be able to sort their music by everything that they own from a specific label. Now, on classical, it could be, you know, the big labels, Deutsche Grammophon, Decca, EMI, the, the independents like Hyperion and, and Beast and Naxos. For jazz, maybe you want to get all your Blue Note or your ECM together. Or for indie music, you know, you may have, I don't know if you're into showing my age here, um, music from the 80s, maybe you've got a lot of stuff on factory or rough trade, and you want to just be able to find these things a little bit easier. Right. Um, So so both of these would help um, classical, but the label thing would help people who are interested in a lot of different genres. So in the meantime, do you use comments field for that stuff? You know, I've tried it, but I use comments field for other things. Um, So, for instance, live recordings versus studio recordings, Mm -hmm. Um, and if you try to put too much in the comments field, you've got to make sure that everything is spelled correctly. There's no, you know, there's spaces between it. It's certainly possible, but it's one of those workarounds that's just a little bit annoying. Right. Okay. Now, some people who are keen on classical music are also audiophiles, people who really care about the quality of music. So is iTunes good enough for them? Oh, we've had this debate online, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. 
Um, and at least you and I agree, more or less, that my, my opinion is this. I'm interested in the music. Um, you know, when I was growing up, the quality of my first stereo that I bought from Radio Shack in the 1970s uh, wasn't that good, mm-hmm. and the music still sounded fine. Yeah. Um, I listened to LPs with pops and scratches, and while a lot of people these days have a certain nostalgia for vinyl, I certainly don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done blind listening tests at different bit rates, um, different formats. I've tried from lossless down to like 64K. I've come to, uh, I discovered over time that for me, what works best is AAC files at 160K, which is a, a, a good compromise between sound quality and disk space taken up. If people use the, the sort of what's now the default of 256, I would really be willing to bet that hardly anyone would be able to tell the difference between a lossless or a CD file and something that's been compressed at that bit rate. Yeah. Now, I had a discussion with someone from a classical label recently, and he said to me, we found that a CD sounded better than a wave file. And we were going back and forth trying to figure it out, and then we realized, of course, because they were playing their wave file through a computer mm-hmm. with a sound card that wasn't as good as what their CD was connected up to their stereo. So I think one of the things is, whether your music is compressed or not, if you don't have good speakers, if you don't have a good amp connected to your your Mac or your your Windows computer, if you're playing through iTunes, then the music won't sound as good. That's not the compression. That's the computer itself that's making a difference. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, we have had this discussion online, and I care about music uh, far more than I care about sound. Um, And so I do think it... It becomes a distraction when you're so keyed in on every little nuance of of the audio, but not of the performance, and which I think is too bad because there are some fabulous recordings from the '40s and the '50s, and um, that you know the conductors and orchestras that have long since passed. That I imagine some of these people wouldn't listen to because, well, the the sound isn't good enough. There is a, a what's called a historical recording sort of sub-niche in classical music where there are a number of very talented people. I would almost call them sound engineers, but they're not really that. They take old 78s and old vinyl recordings, they digitize them, and, and they clean them up. And they release them in versions that sound surprisingly good for mono. Mm-hmm. But this is mono with a limited frequency response. And no matter what you do, it's not going to sound the way a modern digital recording is. But if you want to listen to, to Fort Vongor conducting something from the 1940s, this is what you get. Right. Um, on, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got a, a very small but growing sub-niche who is interested in high sample rate files, so these 96 kilohertz mm-hmm. sample rate and you know all sorts of high-resolution files and things like this. And I've listened to some of them. I have a, a, a digital analog converter or or a DAC connected to my Mac so I can play some of these back not through iTunes but with other software and I don't really hear much of a difference of course you know at our age our hearing is starting to go so the high end which is probably where you hear more of the the detail Mm -hmm. um, is really what's first to go yeah right so let's uh, switch gears and talk about troubleshooting if iTunes acts up do you have a particular workflow you use or things you look at first to see what might be uh, going wrong with the application? 
Well, I think there's two kinds of acting up. There's that the application crashes or just doesn't work, and, and that's a pretty complicated thing. Or there's problems that are involving syncing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had some problems a while ago. Uh, wh- when I was writing my latest iTunes book, I had some problems getting Genius to work correctly. I, I wondered, no matter what I did, I couldn't get Genius mixes. And I contacted Apple and went through a troubleshooting process and they took me up to like a real high level of troubleshooting, putting me in touch with iTunes engineers. And they finally determined that somehow my library file was corrupted. Mm. Even though nothing showed up in iTunes, it just prevented the genius mixes from being created. Um, so they pointed me to an online article which explained how to take the iTunes library XML file uh, and import that into a new blank library, and this resolved the problem. So I would say that anyone who's got any serious problems with the actual library part of iTunes, um, to look for that document on Apple's support pages and to consider doing that, because uh, I don't know what sort of magic it did, but it certainly cleaned out something, and it resolved my problem. Um, At one point, I was almost tempted to suggest that this could be a sort of preventive maintenance operation. Mm -hmm. But I'd just be a little bit too worried that people would lose stuff, and, and they wouldn't lose music as such, but maybe pointers to different music. And it, it's not something for the faint of heart. It's you import, you have to reorganize. Um, it takes a while if you have a big library, so it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a last resort thing. But it certainly resolved my problem. Um, when it gets to syncing problems, I don't even waste my time anymore trying to resolve them. I just restore my device. Since iTunes makes backups of, well, at least iOS devices, it still doesn't do this for you know, the Classic or the Nano or the Shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a problem last week on my iPod Touch. The album art was showing on the wrong thing. So the album art for a Grateful Dead album would show up on a, a Beethoven string quartet and vice versa. Um, so basically I just restored it and, and recopied everything and that fixed it. I think if you have syncing problems, you just shouldn't waste any time. The restore process is, is pretty quick. You, you recover your backup. So you've got all your settings, you've got all your music and content selected, your apps. My apps were not all in the same places on the different screens, but that just took two minutes to fix. Right. So, um, going over to the windows side, I know a few windows users and, they seem to complain a lot more about iTunes than than Mac users do. And I don't know if it's because they're Windows users and they hate Apple stuff, or they really do have more problems. Have you heard from Windows users that find iTunes more difficult to work with than Mac users? I have, and I, I think there's a, there's a number of things going on. Um, first, a lot of them are – they're almost insulted that they have to – and air quotes here – do things Apple's way. Mm-hmm. It's not as if they're not doing things Microsoft's way with every other program, um, but something about this seems to irk them. Maybe the way preferences are laid out, it's not the Windows way. You know, we always complain when Windows apps are ported to the Mac and they don't look right and think menus are in the wrong place. And Windows users, you know, it might be a legitimate gripe of theirs. Um, I think one of the other problems is that there are so many Windows users who have PCs they put together themselves, and there are so many variables and so many hardware problems that can really gunk things up. Um, it seems that the hardcore iTunes users, the, the sort of set of hardcore iTunes users overlaps pretty well with the set of people who build their own PCs. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, I guess these are the equivalent of Mac power users on the Windows side. Um, so people do have issues with that. You see some people complaining, oh, why do I have to download another iTunes update? I mean, you know, okay, you got broadband, get real. It's, what, 75 megabytes. How long can that take? Mm-hmm. You know, that's no big deal. On the other hand, there is a legitimate concern that when they install iTunes, Apple tries to get them to install Safari and a couple other things. You know, dude, look at the installer, uncheck what you don't want. It's really not that complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know early on there wasn't that little checkbox. It just did it. And and right. I think rightfully they they didn't ask for that. Although you would think that Windows users would be used to having stuff downloaded to their computers that they didn't want. Exactly. But, yeah. but still, a company like Apple shouldn't be engaging in that kind of practice. So Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, let's go to your personal preferences. What are uh, what are your favorite iTunes features? Um, well, in terms of display, I really like the column browser. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I wrote about this a couple months ago because I realized that a lot of people don't even know it exists. When you're looking at a library or even a playlist, just press Command-B and you get this browser comes up. You get columns for genres, artists, and albums, and you can add other columns like composers and and things. And you can have it on the top of the window or at the left, so to the left of the sidebar. And I like to have it at the top because then, you know, I can drill down, I can choose a genre, then choose a composer or an artist, and then see everything that I've got from them. Um, To be fair, I'm currently working on a 27-inch cinema display, and I have my iTunes window filling the, the display. It's the only program I use full screen like that. So it gives me a lot of room to be able to see what I have. Um, I love smart playlists. I make lots of smart playlists and I use them and then I delete them and then I make more. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the ability to organize playlists in folders in the sidebar. Um, I'm looking now and I've got a couple dozen folders and each one has a number of playlists. And I have folders by artist or sort of groupings of music, in particular classical music, things that I really want to listen to, my favorite albums and performers and stuff like that. Um, I like the ability in iTunes to be able to tag things with a fair amount of detail, even though there are some caveats, as as I mentioned before. I'd like other tags to be available for classical music. Um, But once you get used to tagging your music coherently, it makes it very easy to find anything. Even, as I said, my library is getting up on 69,000 items. That's 285 days of music. Um, You know, just type in the search field and you can find something really quickly. Mm -hmm. I I also love the ability to stream music from iTunes. Um, My Apple TV is in the living room connected to a stereo and I my music is on an external disconnected to my Mac Mini in my office, which is upstairs in the house. And I use remote on the iPod Touch, and that is just brilliant. That is, you know, probably one of the best things that's ever happened. You don't need a an expensive sound system. I think you have a Sonos, right? Yeah. Um, you don't need anything like that. Everything just works smoothly. You can stream to any device, any computer, share libraries. Uh, I think that's just wonderful. Yeah, I think that Apple has really gotten smarter about streaming lately with uh, home sharing um, and then sort of the opposite, which is AirPlay and being able to, to move media around your house. Um, it's just brilliant, and it works so well that uh, that now you don't need to have uh, a stereo in every room or or walk around with your iPod, but rather you can just shoot music anywhere you like in your house. Which is the way it should be. Yeah. 
there's no reason why we should have to have the same music on multiple devices. And last year I wrote an article suggesting that Apple make an iTunes server for, for home users, you know, the, the kind of program where everyone in the household can dump all their music. Each user can create playlists and everything. I think that's the next step. Um, the, the fact that we're getting more content, we want to use it in more places, it makes no sense for it to be duplicated anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've talked about some of your favorite iTunes features. What about some that you think have outlived their usefulness? Um, wow, let me just check in some of the menus here. Well, Ping has outlived its usefulness. <laughs> From day Ping one. outlived its usefulness on day one, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, no, knowing that we were going to be recording this, yesterday I turned on Ping for the first time in months just to see if anyone was doing anything. And some, I see the people I'm following and what they've bought, but hardly anyone actually posts anything. Yeah. Um, I think I've only once on Twitter seen someone post something that came from Ping with, you know, the, what is it, I iTunes.es mm-hmm. um, short URL type thing. Um, I, I was very critical when it first came out, and I'm not even critical anymore. I'm just ignoring yeah, it. Yeah, I think most um, people are. So I, I think that could be removed. I, I really don't like I, – I never display the sidebar, the genius sidebar and all that. Um, I'm just putting it on now. It's going to recommend – to buy stuff, but it's going to tell me on most of what I click, oh, oh, sorry, we can't find anything related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, here, try the latest Lady Gaga album. <laughs> um, that's not a lot, you know, it's not really helpful for me. Yeah. So I, I don't ever actually use Genius. I've made Genius playlists a couple of times, but it's just not, it's not the way I listen to music. Um, I can understand that some people might like it, um, but for me, it's either I choose an album to listen to or I just click shuffle and, you know, listen to what comes up. By the way, important iTunes tip, if there's music you don't want to hear when you shuffle songs on uh, on your iPod, iPhone, or even using iTunes DJ, select all the tracks, Command-I, click on the Options tab, and cl- uh, click on the Skip to Shuffle, Skip When Shuffling menu, and set it to Yes, and iTunes will not shuffle and the iPod will not shuffle. So I have a whole, most of my classical music I have set like that. So I don't get like the third movement of a string quartet coming up after a Grateful Dead song. That's a great tip. I I know it's there. I just don't use it. So uh, I'm going to now. I I pretty much do that every time I add classical music. And then for some other things that don't work, I I have, for instance, um, uh, a set of Shakespeare plays on CD that I've ripped to, to iTunes. And you don't want something like that coming up uh, in the middle of, I don't know, you're, you're listening to some, I don't know, some mellow music mm-hmm. or some electronic music or some reggae, and all of a sudden you hear, you know, act three, scene four of Othello. <laughs> that's that's definitely, you know, that, that'll ruin a mood. It, it certainly will. Uh, what about soundcheck? Because I think somebody asked me that a few weeks ago. Does anybody use soundcheck and is it worth it? And I, I thought, I can't remember the last time I turned that thing on. I, I actually used it for a while until one day I was listening to a, a recording of some Beethoven piano sonatas and it was distorted. And it was something back in the day when I was a member of eMusic, um, something I had downloaded from there. So I redownloaded it thinking the files were bad. And I was listening again, it was distorted and I couldn't figure it out. And then I remembered that sound check was on and I turned it off and the music sounded fine. Uh-huh. Since then, I don't put it on at all. Mm-hmm. Um it does something to some recordings. 
it says it's just changing the volume, but I just kind of think that something else is going on. Why would it distort a piano recording when if I turn up the volume, I don't get that distortion? In other words, it's a different kind of volume increase mm-hmm. than the volume control, and I don't trust it. Yeah, I think there has to be some compression or something going on there where it's it's not just raising volume. But, you know, because you can't without, you know, having to tamp down the top or the bottom, and that could end, to some, end up with some kind of distortion. Right. Um, so where do you think iTunes goes from here? Well, we we talked earlier about the, the the myriad features of iTunes and all the different kinds of content it manages. Um, I, I hate to cite more articles that I've written for Macworld, but I wrote something a while ago saying that, well, I think it was more the iPod, that the iPod has hit the wall, and iTunes has kind of hit a wall as well. Um, we first had music, and then we added videos and podcasts, and then we added audio books, and now e-books and apps. But we don't have any other kind of digital content that iTunes doesn't manage. Can you, can you think of anything? Okay, 3D video would still be video. Right. High-resolution music is still music. There's no digital content that it doesn't manage. One could maybe think that magazines or something, that there'll be you know a magazine, newspaper thing, but that seems to be covered by iOS. So I don't think we're going to see any new types of content. It just doesn't exist. Um, I'm hoping we'll see more tagging features like the ones I mentioned earlier. And if anyone... Um, from Apple's iTunes division is listening, you know where you can get in touch with me. Um, One thing I really think we're going to see soon, and this will be a a big feature not only for iTunes, but also for the iPhone, all the iOS devices, um, I think we're going to see wireless syncing in the future. Oh, I pray so. Yeah. You know, having to connect a device to sync one or two things is just annoying. Connecting to charge it, okay, that's fine. But you can always even plug it into a charger that's not connected to a computer. But there should be a button, sync. And you get your whatever latest music you just bought or whatever podcasts you have and all that. Um, One of the reasons that Apple's probably hesitated on this is the battery drain. I can see that if you're doing a long sync, it'll use a lot of battery on your iOS device. Mm -hmm. But battery time is getting longer, and it would just be so convenient to sync like that, to have your devices automatically show up in the sidebar and to, you know, right-click and choose sync automatically, boom, and it's done, and you don't have to connect them anymore. Well, it can be done over jailbreak, so it's technically possible. It's There's nothing that prevents it, except I think you're right. I think it is a battery issue. But I have chargers all over my house, and I plug these devices into them, and it would be nice to just stroll by and say, oh, I think I'll sync that while I'm here and then come back 10 minutes later and everything's on there. Yeah. Re- remember that Apple has to not – I hate to use this expression. In fact, you'll edit it out if you think it, I can't use it. <laughs> they can't shoot their wad all at once. Right. They have to have a certain number of new features for every annual update because yeah. we've reached an annual update stage for iTunes and for, for the iPod and all that. Right. And they have to have new features every year, so they can't come out with everything at once. Um, last year was Ping, and the year before was CoverFlow, I think, or maybe two years before. And, you know, they keep adding new things, but they're really limited. And, and in fact, as I said, they've hit a wall. There's no new content, so the only way that they can do things is how you interact with the content or how iTunes manages it. Right. Um, I can maybe see some other ways of displaying content. Um, currently, if you're in grid view, you just get one icon. You remember a few years ago, there were these rumors about stacks in Mac OS X? Yeah. 
you'd pile files up and you'd click on them and they'd sort of expand and all that. I could see something like that being added to iTunes as just a way of displaying a bunch of content together. Maybe have playlists display not only in a sidebar, but maybe be able to display them in the window in a way you'd click and they'd expand. But, you know, this is cosmetic. It's not necessarily something that's going to make a big change for usability, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where can people go to pick up a copy of Take Control of iTunes 10 and read more of your work? Well, they can start by going to my website, um, which is com. M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N.com, where I write about Macs and iTunes and music, and I write a lot about classical music and books and a lot of the things, you know, other things that interest me. Um, you can go to Take Control Books slash iTunes to get the book directly. Of course, there's a link for my website. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at McElhern, M-C-E-L-H-E-R-N.com. And obviously, stop in at Macworld regularly, where my iTunes iPod columns come out twice a month, and I've got other articles about all sorts of Mac stuff. Terrific. Well, thanks very much for being here, Kirk. Thanks for having me, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast. I'd like to thank Kirk McElhern, my mother on the occasion of her 80th birthday, and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-520-9761. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPad, iPhone, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you around.